Keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> the passage that was just read will be our text this morning, Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. And the title for this sermon is taken from verse 24 of this text, that ye may know, that ye may know. It's a very instructive passage for us about the miracle ministry of Jesus. In this text, Jesus performed a miracle and healed a paralyzed man. And Jesus specifically told those who were present why he performed this miracle. In the first part of verse 24, he says, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. This miracle demonstrated through a visible sign that Jesus had the power to forgive sins. And it reminds us that Jesus came to earth for this purpose, to be the Redeemer, to forgive sins. And though He did many great and wonderful works, the primary work of Christ was fulfilled at the cross, paying the debt for sins. Jesus came to forgive sins, and He has the power to forgive sins. And we see that demonstrated here in this text. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts and lives as we examine this passage of Scripture together. Lord, may our hearts be soft and open to the working of the Holy Spirit, convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Lord, help us to be, through this time, conformed more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we would go out and honor Him in the lives that we live. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, first, let's consider the setting for this miracle. The setting for this miracle. Luke's gospel doesn't tell us where this miracle took place, but we know from the other gospel accounts that it was in Capernaum. And it's very likely that it was in Peter's house. And in verse 17, we're told that while Jesus was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the doctors of the law, had come out of every town in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Their presence was a testimony to the growing influence of Jesus and his ministry. They had come to hear Jesus in person and to see the miracles that he performed. They probably felt a need to come to some sort of settled opinion about Jesus and his ministry. We know from what Nicodemus said in John chapter 3 that the ministry of Jesus was a topic of debate among the religious leaders. And this verse tells us that they were sitting by. They were sitting by. They were not sitting at the feet of Jesus to learn for him, but they sat by as spectators, and even critics, to observe and to pass judgment on the ministry of Jesus. And that's evident from what we see later on in this text. As I was looking at that, I thought, how often can we be like these religious leaders? We come to church services and we we sit by as spectators or even critics. And we applaud or we frown upon what goes on around us. But this should not be. We do not gather at the church, but we gather as the church. If you're a believer, you're a part of the body of Christ. And we should desire both to receive ministry and to minister while we are gathered together. If you are a Christian, you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to minister in the body. And God expects you to use those gifts and those abilities to serve in the church body. Don't sit by as idle spectators and critics, but join in as fellow laborers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the end of verse 17 says, The power of the Lord was present to heal them. 
them. Not the religious leaders, but the multitudes that are mentioned or that were mentioned earlier in, in verse 15. Many of whom came to Jesus for physical healing. And the power of the Lord was present in the person of Jesus Christ, and multitudes of these people were healed. Now in verse 18, we're introduced to one of the main characters in this text, the man taken with a palsy. This man was paralyzed. Based on how this word is used in the Greek language, it could be paralysis from a stroke, or it could be any number of diseases which affect the muscles and left him paralyzed. And this was a very serious case. Uh, This man was bedridden. He could not come to Jesus on his own power. Others had to carry him. Now imagine the position of this man. Why had he come or been brought to Jesus? Because he was paralyzed. He came to be healed. This man lived in a time dominated by physical ability. What work could he do? How could he provide for himself? What sort of life could he hope to have with this physical condition? We're given very few details about this man. We don't know how old he was. We don't know his name. We don't know if he had a family. We don't know how long he had been paralyzed. We don't know how he heard about Jesus. But certainly, he came hoping to be healed. And we do know that he had friends. Look again at the first part of verse 18. There were told, men brought in a bed a man. So maybe these men, these friends, told the paralyzed man about Jesus. Maybe they came to him and told him, we have found a man who can help you. And with great hope and determination, they carried this man to Jesus. And the end of verse 18 tells us that they desired to lay him before Jesus. It was their desire to bring him and to lay him before Jesus. Now look at the beginning of verse 19. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude. So they brought him to Jesus, but they could not bring him before Jesus because of the multitude. Jesus was teaching inside of a house, and the crowd was so great that the men who were carrying this paralyzed man, they could not get inside. Now, for a minute, put yourself in the place of this paralyzed man. You're paralyzed. And there is no hope that you will naturally recover. But you hear about a teacher, Jesus, who works mighty miracles of healing. And you want to go, but how? Your friends will carry you. They come and they carry you to Jesus in your bed. But as you come near to where Jesus is teaching, that glimmer of hope begins to fade. There's this huge crowd surrounding the house where Jesus is teaching, and it's obvious that this crowd is going to keep you from being laid before Jesus. But these men did not give up. If they could not get their paralyzed friend through the door, they would make another way. Look at the second part of verse 19. They went up onto the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. So they tore up the roof, and they let this man down in through this hole that they made. Jesus. Imagine this this scene playing out. There's Jesus sitting in this room, and he's teaching. And all of a sudden, some dust begins to fall down from the ceiling. What's going on up there? Uh, Roof tiles begin to be peeled back. The crowd that's gathered there to listen to Jesus is suddenly distracted as sunlight begins to come in through this new hole in the roof that gets bigger and bigger. The religious leaders who were there look on in shock as a bed is then lowered down through this new hole in the roof. And on that bed is this paralyzed man. 
He can't move. He's at the mercy of his friends. And they will seemingly stop at nothing to lay him before Jesus. What an interesting and even strange setting that Luke describes here. But no matter how surprising the circumstances of verses 17, 18, and 19, what happened in verse 20 is even more surprising. We've looked at the setting of this miracle. Now look at what Jesus said to the paralyzed man. What Jesus said to the paralyzed man. Here's this paralyzed man. He's laying there before Jesus. And Jesus takes notice of him. How could Jesus help but to take notice of this man? He's just been lowered in through the ceiling. And the first part of verse 20 tells us, And when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, as this scene unfolded before him, what Jesus noticed was their faith, the faith of his friends and the faith of the paralyzed man. And Jesus addressed him, Man, in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, it's recorded that Jesus called him son, son. What a roller coaster of emotions this paralyzed man must have experienced. First, hope and hearing about Jesus and being carried to Jesus. Then maybe disappointment or even despair as he saw those crowds which would keep him from being brought before Jesus. But then hope again as his friends didn't give up but lowered him through the roof to get him to Jesus. And Jesus did not rebuke them for the disturbance. Jesus wasn't angry with them. Jesus saw their faith, and he addressed this paralyzed man. Man, friend, son. Imagine you had never heard an account of this miracle before. Pretend that you don't know what happens next. And again, put yourself in the place of this paralyzed man for a moment. Jesus has taken notice of you. He has addressed you with kindness. What's your expectation? What will happen next? Did Jesus tell him, take up your bed and walk? Did Jesus say, I have seen your faith and your faith has made you whole? No. Look again at what Jesus said to the man there in verse 20. Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Thy sins are forgiven thee. I've wondered if in that moment the man was disappointed. It seems apparent that he came to Jesus to be physically healed. He was paralyzed and he wanted to be made whole. But in love and compassion and with an eye toward his greater need, Jesus told him, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Freedom from sin is the greatest human need. Sin is what brings about every sort of suffering in this world. Though Jesus healed many people of physical ailments, He did not come to deliver humanity from suffering on this earth. He came to save people from their sins. If Jesus had healed this paralyzed man, it would have been incredible. But far more incredible, far more shocking to those present, were these words from Jesus. Thy sins be forgiven thee. See from this text the incredible power of Jesus to save. What did this man do to be saved? He came to Jesus. But not even that. He was brought to Jesus. Others had to carry him. And not only that, but he came with a different motive. As far as we know, he only came or was brought in the hope that he would be healed. He was paralyzed and he wanted Jesus to make him whole. 
We know nothing about what took place in his heart. We're not told what thoughts were in his mind. The only detail we are given is Jesus looked at him and the men who brought him, and he saw their faith, and Jesus told him, you are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The paralyzed man said nothing. As far as we know, he knew very little about Jesus. He doesn't confess any great truth about Jesus in this text. But in that moment, he had a true saving faith. And Jesus forgave his sins. What is necessary to be saved? Faith. But not faith abstractly. Not faith in just anything. Lots of people have a lot of faith in things that will bring them to damnation. Your faith must have Jesus Christ as its object. Jesus must be the object of your faith. See your need and come to Jesus. Now you may be like this paralyzed man. You might not have great depth of theological knowledge. You might not be able to confess great truths about Jesus. You might not even fully understand your need, your spiritual need. But if you are convicted of your sin and you look to Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation, you will be saved. Such is the power of Christ to save. He doesn't save us because of who we are, but because of who He is. He saves us in spite of what we are. He doesn't save the righteous He saves sinners. He is glorified in saving sinners. We contribute the sin and the weakness and the frailty and the need and the ignorance and every other sort of shortcoming and corruption imaginable, and He saves. The Gospel call goes out, like the old hymn says, Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power, power to save. Come to Jesus in faith and repentance. Jesus said in John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The power of Jesus to save. Well, that's a beautiful sentiment. But how do we know? How do we know that Jesus has the power to forgive sins? Skepticism is not a modern invention. Read through the Bible and you'll find that it's full of skeptics. People who were present when Jesus told this man his sins were forgiven were skeptical of this proclamation. How could anyone possibly know, then or now, that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins? Well, let's look at the rest of this text and examine the miracle that Jesus performed. The miracle that Jesus performed. Verse 21 tells us how those who were present responded to this declaration from Jesus about the forgiveness of sins. The scribes and the Pharisees, those religious leaders mentioned earlier, they began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now they were reasoning this internally. The other gospel accounts tell us that they were thinking these things. They didn't say this out loud. They were thinking these things. They were murmuring. Though they didn't say anything aloud, they immediately thought, blasphemy. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, and they thought, blasphemy. They knew the Scriptures. They knew that only God can forgive sins. They were unwilling to acknowledge that Jesus was the Christ, the Anointed One sent from God. 
And so when Jesus forgave this man's sins, these proud and hard-hearted onlookers, they strongly disapproved. Now look at how Jesus responded to them. The first part of verse 22 says, When Jesus perceived their thoughts. When he perceived their thoughts. It's an example of omniscience. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He saw their thoughts. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. Our, our minds and our hearts lay bare before Him. He sees all and He knows all. He knows us even better than we know ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. We cannot deceive Christ. Verses 22 and 23 continues. He, Jesus, answering, said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. He asked them, which is easier? Is it easier to forgive this man's sins or to heal him on command? Now, the religious leaders were right. No mere man had the power to forgive sins. Such authority belongs to God and God alone. And so this first task is impossible. On a scale of difficulty, it's off the scale. It's impossible. It can't be done. Well, how about healing this man? We live in a time of incredible medical ability. Doctors can do more now than ever before. But we still can't do what Jesus proposed here. That is, heal on command. So the second task is also impossible. Now, they're not equal tasks. Certainly, to forgive sins is a greater work than physical healing. The soul is of greater value than the body. That which is spiritual is more excellent than that which is carnal. This is why God's people willingly choose to suffer affliction rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Because we look for and we hope for something which is greater than this present world. Again, these two tasks that Jesus presents in verse 23, they're not equal. But from our perspective, they're both impossible. Neither of them can be done by any mere man. Well, Jesus didn't wait for the religious leaders to answer in the first part of verse 24, Jesus told them why he was about to do what he did. Jesus said to the religious leaders, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. This was his plan and his purpose. This is why Jesus performed this miracle and so many others to demonstrate his power upon earth, his power to forgive sins. Then Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go unto thine house. Now these words by themselves mean nothing. There's no magic formula here. You and I could go and we could tell any number of sick people to recover. Get well and go home. And it would have no effect. It would do no good. No one would be healed. There's no power, no authority behind our words. But what about the words of Jesus? Look at verse 25. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. What did this man do? He obeyed the impossible command of Christ. He was paralyzed. Jesus told him to arise to pick up his bed, and to go home. And this paralyzed man, in faith, by grace through faith, 
he obeyed. He was no longer paralyzed. He was healed. A moment before, he had lacked the ability to obey this command. Christ commanded him, and he obeyed. He was immediately healed. He was totally healed. The bed had borne the man, and now the man bore the bed. What a beautiful illustration this is of salvation. The gospel call goes out. As the Apostle Paul preached in Athens, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And it's an impossible command. We have no will within ourselves to obey God. We're like this paralyzed man. He was a prisoner in the weakness of his body. We are a prisoner in the strength of our sin. He could not physically move himself to Christ. We cannot spiritually move ourselves to Christ. And yet all over the world for the last 2,000 years, people have been obeying the impossible command of Christ to repent and believe. How can this be? By grace, through faith, we can obey. It's the gift of God. The gift of salvation. Where we have no strength to stand, God gives us strength. Where we have no will to obey, God makes a new will within us. May we follow the example of this man and heed the call of Christ. In faith, obey the command to repent of your sins and turn to Christ. And then may we all do as this man did. He departed glorifying God. Glorifying God. His sins had been forgiven. His body had been healed. And he glorified God. To this end, we were created to glorify God. We glorify God by lifting up His name in the world and magnifying Him in the eyes of others. In view of your great salvation, glorify God. Appreciate Him. Adore Him. Show Him all due affection and obey His commands. This is how we glorify God. Now verse 26 concludes this text. And they were all amazed... And they glorified God, talking about the multitudes that were there, and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. The people that witnessed this miracle, they were amazed, they glorified God, and they were afraid. This is a very strong word for fear that's used here. It speaks of terror. They were terrified. Why? Because by this miracle... Jesus demonstrated that he was God incarnate. Look back again at verse 24. Jesus had just been accused of blasphemy. Again, Jesus said, Thy sins are forgiven thee. And the religious leaders thought, Blasphemy. Blasphemy. This man is claiming something that belongs to God alone. Jesus had just been accused of blasphemy because he claimed to have the power to forgive sins. And in verse 24, Jesus said, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. And then he performed this miracle. This miracle was a visible demonstration of the power and authority of God in the man, Jesus Christ. And this account has been preserved for us for that same purpose, that we may read it and see and know that Jesus Christ the Son of Man, sent from God, has power upon earth to forgive sins. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the great truth 
that is contained here and revealed here. We thank you, Lord, for the revelation of Jesus Christ as it's unfolded here before us. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance that this passage gives us as believers. Lord, for the example it is to unbelievers. As you demonstrated your power to save in the miracle that you worked on this occasion. Lord, may we all be convicted of sin and flee from that. May we go out glorifying you, not in word only, but in deed, living lives that bring you honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.